It's baffled me for years that someone could be a professional sports person, let alone a world champion, whilst their immune system was destroying them from the inside. This is most certainly not Danny Johnson. Danny's actually away on holiday right now, um, and he's asked me to fill in for him. Why, I'm not sure, because I'm actually terrible at editing audio and even recording audio, as you can probably tell. I've already messed up this intro about 15 times. Believe it or not, this is the best take yet. So we're just going to roll with it. And um, yeah, this week on The Drop, we've got a few really interesting and engaging stories. First up, we have a chat with... Stab premium writer Ali Klinkenberg, who, despite being a dirty, dirty palm, wrote a beautiful story this week about Pauline Mensa, who is one of the stars of the upcoming documentary Girls Can't Surf. And this was a really personal and intimate piece for Ali because Pauline and he actually share a childhood disease that, you know, plagued them severely throughout their youth, and actually Pauline still to this day is seeing effects. And then we talked to Felicity Palmatier, who just recently dropped her nude surf film, for lack of a better term, um, and it's now playing on Stab Premium. Um, this film, which is called Skin Deep, Felicity has actually been working on it for like five years, and it was meant to go live, I think, two years ago, but it actually got stopped by her sponsor at that time who thought it was a little bit too risque and they thought that it would tarnish their image so they they basically gave her an ultimatum and said if you publish this we're out um so yeah a bit of an interesting tale on that one um again you can you can see the film on stab premium and yeah we're gonna learn about the making of it from felicity later on in this episode there are a couple of other big drops that we had this week on stabmag.com, one being episode two of Andy Irons and the Radicals, where we basically get to see Andy and the whole lost crew, like Corey Lopez, Shay Lopez, uh, Chris Ward, Shane Bestian, um, even a bit of Taj Burrow getting amongst it in Hawaii, riding strange little boards and very large waves and basically becoming the best surfers in the world right in front of our eyes. And also, we got to see a sneak preview of Ian Crane and Beachhead's new film, which has the audience name title of Wax On, Wax Off. You'll have to see the spelling of that to truly understand it, um, but I will let you find that on the website. It was on Stab Premium earlier in the week, but it is now free for all viewers. So whether you are a subscriber or not, slide on over to stabmag.com and get 15 minutes of glory from Ian and friends in uh, California and Morocco and some really special waves. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about the big news of the week, and that is related to Kelly Slater, who will not be getting on the WSL's chartered flight from Los Angeles to Sydney. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, um, that flight will have either already left or be leaving in the next few hours. And yeah, the, the 49-year-old 11-time world champ will not be on board. 
Kelly is citing kind of like a niggling injury, the foot injury that he sustained in Jeffreys Bay in 2017 as the main cause, on top of a few other injuries that he's got and ankles and who knows elsewhere. You get to a certain age and certain body parts just start to, you know, deteriorate and it's a normal part of life. It's it's a shame that Kelly feels as though he's not quite fit enough to compete at this moment, but we do know that Kelly is taking the situation really seriously. We we also, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, this is a real loss for Kelly because I think this was probably one of his last real chances to win a world title. Um, if you think about it, you know, he, he's got a third at Pipeline. There's probably going to be a maximum of like seven regular season events this year. So if he ever wanted to make it into that top five that qualify for the WSL finals, it seemed like this was a really good year to do it. All he'd need to do is get a couple decent results in the Australia leg, and then he could come through really strong at Chopu and the Wave Pool, which are supposed to be the final two events of the regular season. Um, you know, it definitely wasn't a guarantee, but if he ever wanted to get into it, I think this was probably his best chance. So I'm sure he's feeling a bit of a, a bitter sting, but... Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's likely he'll still get over to Australia for the West Oz leg, and it's very likely he will re-qualify for next year with a third already in his scoreline. So do not fret. We will most likely see a 50-year-old Kelly Slater still on tour next year, which is absolutely baffling. We have an interview with Ali Klinkenberg, who, after watching a documentary currently screening premieres across Australia at the moment, titled Girls Can't Surf, decided to interview one of the movie stars, 93 world champ Pauline Menzer. Girls Can't Surf is about the struggles women face while competing on the tour in the 80s and the 90s. And as you could probably guess... The film brings up themes like sexism, homophobia, money, etc. Actually, the money one is the one I find most interesting just given how easily measurable and comparable it is. Like Pauline Menzer didn't win a cent when she won the world title in 1993, which is just so drastically different to the modern world tour, which pays all the competitors well, both the men and the women. The men and the women get paid the same, actually, since 2018. And I've got to be honest, though, when I heard the WSL was paying the women the same as the men, I thought it was the, the dumbest idea I'd ever heard. Utter stupidity on all levels, which is what I thought. And I think I still do think that. Anyone who's taken the time to speculate on the WSL's financials comes to the conclusion that the WSL is losing drastic amounts of money daily. And I just felt like throwing more prize money away isn't going to help the problem, is it? By all means, women and men should get paid equally. That was the right move. They should 100% be paid the same. But the business is losing money. So the women shouldn't start getting paid the same as the men. The men should be paid the same as the women. Am I wrong here? Is that not simple maths? Or maybe no prize money whatsoever would be, would be better? Would the surfers still show up? I don't know. But if, if, I just feel like if a surfing world tour isn't interesting enough for people that it's appealing for advertisers to throw money at it, then 
the price tre- checks should reflect that. Uh, at least if I was CFO, that's how things would be done. Uh, and I think if they want this thing to be sustainable, then the prize money should should it should work like this. It should be money made in advertising minus expenses to run the tour that year. So I mean, <laughs> imagine taking that rationale and pl- applying it to the WSL's current balance sheet. Be like, congratulations, Julian Wilson, on your maiden world title this year. Now, under the new system, let's calculate your prize money. Do the maths. And all right, for winning the world title this year, you now owe the WSL $3.6 million payable within 14 days. And that is what I call accounting and also how to say the tour. But that has got very little to do with Ali's story on Pauline Menza. So let's chat to Ali now. Can you say this into the mic? This sounds great. Oh. Um, yeah, we were interviewing Geordie Smith at the O'Neill House and a bird shit on his phone. And then we got to the end of like an hour long interview and realised that it was too windy and the audio was all fucked. <laughs> so we had to do it again. Because the bird shat on his phone? No, that was kind of like just an aside, but it was oh. kind of, it would have made like a really boring interview kind of funny. <laughs> So we couldn't recreate that. What part. does Geordie do when when his phone gets shut on? He was actually really cool, but it was like plugging one of those like tracer app things that he had shares in. So um, yeah, I don't think he would have been quite so cool if uh, if it was just for something else. But uh, yeah, Geordie's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let, let's start by talking about <laughs> your you're currently. A freelance writer at Stab, sometimes in the Stab office, like you are right now. But you, uh, this isn't your first tenure at Stab. So, what can you give us your little history? Who are you, Ali? <laughs> um, yeah, well, Stab was actually my um, very first job, which is kind of cute. Um, was it? Yeah. Well, not first job, as in like first thing that I did for money, um, but first quote unquote proper job. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I'd finished uni in Sydney and didn't know what I was doing myself, working at a cafe, washing dishes and getting drunk every day, um, thinking I was never going to get a job, like just applying for just vague media jobs with absolutely no hope in hell of getting any of them. Um, and then, yeah, a job popped up on the Stab Facebook page and I was like, oh, I know a fair bit about surfing. And yeah, literally I went from dishwashing obscurity to working at Stab literally in less than 24 hours and and then you went on to become editor right uh yeah i kind of started off as like social media slash staff writer slash um had to manage subscriptions which i was just absolutely dismal at because i'm not especially organized um also not especially good at editing magazines either in the uh, organizational department but yeah kind of i don't know just through uh blind confidence uh (laughs) Kind of eventually ended up kind of, uh, yeah, climbing a few rungs and, and editing the magazine for a little bit, yeah. And for anyone wondering why you sound uh, a little more eloquent than me and, and can hear a different tone in your voice, what's your, what's your background? Um, yeah, I'm a flaming pom. Um, I grew up in the UK, uh, 
yeah, didn't leave till I was 18. Um, went to Hogwarts. Um, yeah, didn't do much good. Cost my parents a lot of money. Uh, what is Hogwarts? I thought that was a joke. Is that a Harry Potter thing? Yeah, it's a joke, but uh, just a swanky private school oh, right, that actually right. kind of looked a bit like Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, through, uh, I guess, parents, we started coming to Australia a lot when I was young and, and that's when I kind of fell in love with the whole surfing thing and yeah, started reading Stab and became a bit of a mag nerd. And uh, yeah, I guess that kind of unwittingly set me on my path later in life. Wow. All right. And we're going to talk about your story. Hail to the bus driver, world champ, Pauline Menza may well take your kids to school with a subhead. Ahead of the release of Girls Can't Surf, the 94 world champ reflects on overcoming socioeconomics, patriarchy and a crippling autoimmune disease. So can I just get you, before we start off here, just to read the first opening paragraphs of your story? Just the first two paragraphs. Yeah. Um, all right. Girls Can't Surf is a soon-to-be-released documentary telling the remarkable story of a group of female professional surfers in the 80s and 90s who fought to be recognised and given the opportunities that their talent deserved. This group included lauded names like Lisa Anderson, Wendy Botha and Lane Beachley, but when the opportunity came to interview one of these influential women as part of the marketing for GCS, my choice was always Pauline partly because she was the most underground and the furthest from the surfy gal look that the industry demanded, but mainly because of a childhood disease we had in common. It's baffled me for years that someone could be a professional sports person, let alone a world champion, whilst their immune system was destroying them from the inside. What disease do you share with um, Pauline Manzer? And then how did you, when did you first hear about um, that she suffered from it as well? Um, well, yeah, the disease that we share, um, or shared, I guess, um, is juvenile arthritis. So yeah, briefly, I guess everyone knows kind of arthritis is a kind of being an old people's disease, but mainly they're talking about osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is basically just, you get old and the cartilage around your joint starts wearing down. So you kind of get aches and pains and eventually, you know, if you get it really badly, you can become immobilized, but Juvenile arthritis is like a really aggressive form of rheumatoid arthritis. So it's an autoimmune um, disorder. So basically, um, for whatever reasons, it's one of those mysterious kind of disorders that they don't actually know an awful lot about. Um, but basically what happens is that, yeah, your body thinks that there's something up with your joints uh, and produces white blood cells to, to combat whatever threat they think is going on. And there is no threat. So basically those white blood cells just start attacking your joints. And yeah, it can be really complicated. It's really aggressive. When I got it, um, I was eight. And I literally went from um, being like a happy, able kid, loved playing sport, playing footy and cricket and hockey and soccer, everything, to literally just wake up one day and I couldn't move. Um, my parents thought I had leukemia. And then, yeah, lots of tests later, it turned it out. It was, uh, yeah, this juvenile arthritis, which kind of plagued me from, yeah, eight to 18, really. But um, the thing with juvenile arthritis is that normally you grow out of it when you go through puberty. Another one of those kind of strange things. I'm not exactly sure of the science, but I was lucky enough that, that yeah, kind of once I did, I was a late bloomer, which wasn't helpful. But, yeah, once I eventually kind of did hit puberty and went through it, my arthritis 
kind of ceased to be active. So now I can, I can run, I can surf and whatever. My joints are a bit kind of war torn, but I'm pretty lucky. But Pauline, for whatever reason, when she went through kind of puberty and, and started to grow, she never grew out of her disorder. So that's why it's kind of like so relevant to this story is that, you know, throughout her whole professional surfing career, she was just riddled with arthritis. And it's one of those things that flares up and it's an emotional disease too. So high stress, even um, elation apparently um, used to kind of get Pauline's arthritis to kick off. Um, and one of her kind of worst bouts with it was literally just before she won a title in 94, which is, I don't know, someone who's kind of suffered with it when they were younger. It's just baffling. I can't really comprehend how someone can overcome that and everything else to, to kind of like, yeah, just win a, a world sporting competition. It's remarkable. Yeah. And didn't you say like you, you saw, you read about her when you were young and you, you realized like, oh, she, she has what I has. And then you would look out and see her surfing and just be like, how the fuck is she actually surfing under all that pain? Yeah, for sure. I, I remember it so clearly. I was um, traveling my parents and for some reason, I'm guessing I probably was uh, in charge of the itinerary for a bit. We were in Margaret River for the uh, Wet Dreams Masters as it was at the time. <laughs> I remember buying a particularly garish, bright orange Wet Dreams Masters t-shirt, which hopefully is still around somewhere. But yeah, I had one of those, I would have been like, I don't know, 10, 11 maybe. And still, yeah, suffering pretty hard with the with the disease. And yeah, I had one of those programs that had a little breakdown of every surfer in the event, like one to 30 or whatever. And yeah, being a grommet, kind of a sponge at the time, I just read every single word over and over again. And in Pauline's little blurb, it mentioned, yeah, the two words juvenile arthritis. And I was just blown away because I don't know, you know what it's like when you're a kid, you kind of, you don't want anything that differentiates you from the rest of your peers. And it was something that kind of really made me feel pretty alienated from friends and feel like a bit of a freak at school. And yeah, like knowing that someone who was a surfer and a world champion, less had the same thing was, was massive. Yeah. It was yeah. really cool. And, and, her, and she not only had that in her life, but she had everything else that the film touches on, which is a lot of um, sexism and, and, uh, and then also just the, the lack of financial backing. Like there's so many, the what happens in Pauline's story is so many universes removed from the luxuries that the young, successful females of today enjoy. Like, what did Pauline have to do so that she could compete on tour? Oh man, some of the stories are so classic, and and you know I've only spent a, a morning or so with Pauline, so I'm sure that there's more and more and more. But yeah, she kind of uh, she she told me about traits that her mum instilled in her mum, single single mum, grew up with four kids. Pauline's one of two sets of twins. The other three are boys. Um, and her mum, yeah, basically raised all these kids on, uh, on not much. So, uh, she kind of like, they used to go and collect stuff on council cleanup day and take it home and have garage sales and, you know, like anything that was left over on the Bondi beach after a long day, they'd scoop that up and then kind of find ways to sell it. And then Pauline kind of thought that once she made the world tour, she was going to kind of open this door to a financial Eden of sorts. And yeah, just the, the, it was the same story again, no money, no major sponsors and lots of uh, expensive airfares to take. So yeah, she told me all kinds of stories, I guess, manipulating like exchange rates and stuff. Like she'd go to, to the U S and buy like a hundred pairs of Levi's jeans and sell them in France. If there was any sponsors that were kind of flowing too much gear to any of the contests, she'd kind of scoop that up. She said she like walked out of the Coke Classic with like 
cartons of Coke, which she then <laughs> sold on. She bought one of those weird, like, you know, those bikes that you pedal, like, with your feet really far forward that were kind of, like, futuristic at the time, but you kind yeah. of sit down. She said she bought one of those in the States for, like, 500 bucks or something and sold it in France for 15 She's like proper hustling her way to, to scrap together money for her first. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just kind of continuing that like battler kind of legacy that her mum instilled in her, I think. Um, yeah, which is just so cool and, and so, I don't know, just bizarre to think about when you think about the lives that the kind of top women enjoy today. Ever since this movie, Girls Don't Surf, that a lot of these types of stories and exactly what it was like for the women during this era is, is kind of being heard for the first time for a lot of people and there's some really heavy quotes that have been dug up dug up from the era in particular from the men and and things that they'd said at the time in regards to the women and there's one with two-time world champ damien hardman that definitely does not come across well i think what he said he says i think they just need to look like women um look feminine attractive and, and dress well and what what was pauline's response to the way the men um, came across in the film it's kind of an interesting one definitely not not kind of any kind of bitter or kind of outward resentment she kind of was quick to point out that you know growing up in bondi like the the men you could almost like split them down the middle and that kind of continued on to her life on the tour in terms of the ones who were kind of yeah more in that vein of 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 speaking about the women like that and and others like she mentioned barton lynch in particular being very much the other way and after she won a title barton went straight to his sponsors and like demanded that they sponsored her uh so yeah definitely not not openly resentful of any of them didn't she say like throw them under the bus though yeah she said well because i was like you one could look at this that the two or two or three quotes from the the kind of contemporary male pros at the time have been i guess singled out as the the kind of punching bags for a, a kind of rhetoric that was held by not just the world surfing tour but kind of society at large at the time yeah and and she was kind of very i guess sympathetic to that but she mentioned that her neighbor um watched it with her and said to her you know oh shouldn't the men be given a, a chance to kind of i don't know at least explain themselves or apologize for what you know are just like horrendously misogynistic quotes um, and Pauline said that she went to the director, who is a man, and he said, nah, it's the, the story, the doco is about the women. And Pauline was like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> Throw them under the bus. <laughs> Throw them under the bus, fuck them. Which is an amazing thing to say because she's a bus driver. So yeah. you just sort of, you almost envisage her like driving the bus <laughs> over the top of some... Uh, yeah, if we had a, had a bit more time to, uh, to shoot the photos, it would have been a good one and get a load of the uh, yeah, <laughs> effigies of the male pros and back in the day lined up in the middle of the road. There are some amazing photos in the article though of um, Pauline at work because she's a, she, that's what she does now. She drives a bus around the um, Brunswick heads area uh yeah like uh to and from billy nudgel but yeah basically just northern river school runs yeah Man, i actually like what you said the other day about because a bus driver is actually the example of a shitty job that people often throw out there for some reason like it's got like a it's like oh fucking bus driver i mean that's just an age-old thing but it you pointed out it's actually a really good job you do a little shift in the morning do a little shift in the afternoon yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Pauline kind of said the same thing. She's like, uh, after the tour, she kind of tried out a few different things, um, 
yeah, that was the kind of the one that stuck. And she, yeah, she said, you know, people always like, oh, you're a bus driver. She's like, I love driving buses, especially when she gets like the, um, I don't know, I guess it's a certain route, maybe the Byron High one. She's like, all the surfy kids kind of know who she is. And oh, get, nice. yeah, yeah, jump on and give her a high five. Fuck, that's so different having that respect from the kids. And because I would hate for her to be dealing with people like me when I was a kid. I was such a little dickhead to the bus driver. We had this bus driver named Jenny who would just like, who literally hit me. I would annoy her so much because I would just try and uh, ruin her day. Like I was just such an asshole. So I'm glad that she, she has, um, I'm glad that she has that respect for it. And, and I'm sure the, um, the movie will, will help that even more. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's not every day that you've got a world champ driving your kids to school. It's pretty special. Yeah, and, and so like the, the film deal, deals with sexism a lot and I mean we've all witnessed sexism. I've, I've probably been guilty and I know I have definitely have been in my worst moments, I'm sure. Um, but it's, it's still actually really quite confronting like the level of sexism that you, you, is in the film. You're just like, shit, yeah, that, that was actually – it was really – it was like really distinct and so different to how it is now with equal pay and just the opportunities that offer the women and hopefully it's it's becoming as equal as possible. Do you think this film will help move the needle on that? I think um, I think the needle's like all, already kind of well and truly, uh, I'd not say it's completely reached kind of the other, the other side, but uh, it's definitely kind of going in that direction. Um, I just think more so that this movie kind of just pays homage to the kind of behind the scenes trailblazers who gave it that initial shove you know what i mean i feel like it's one of those things that once it's over halfway point it's kind of easy to get it to, yeah. to full bore but getting it to that halfway point that's the hard part and yeah i feel like yeah this movie's just telling the story of those people that were speaking out about things which are like very much in the public consciousness now and and kind of the popular opinion especially amongst young people but at the time that pauline and, and the gang were kind of kicking against this structure they were just these tiny quiet voices that were so easily squashed which kind of makes it even more meaningful to tell their story i think yeah yeah that's really well said and also as an aside um pauline's kind of quick to mention that obviously female surfing professional and otherwise didn't start with her group in the 80s you know she she kind of points to phyllis o'donnell and margot oberg and the sons and you know, all these kind of amazing women who were out there doing it when it was even more left field than when they came along and there was kind of a structured tour and it was kind of moving towards being a professional sport. So, yeah, I think it's important to remember, you know, how long back that, that chain goes, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And so Pauline ended her career with stats like 20 WCT victories, 8 WQS uh, event wins as well as a world title and she won the WQS one year. And, and that's a record that's only surpassed by Lane Beachley. Yet she like she barely made any money during her career. How, how did she respond when the WSL announced that they were going to pay the, the women the same as the men and, and equal pay in 2019? Yeah, well, the, you know, that's the kind of uh, the moment in the film that they use to kind of conclude this story. And, and to me, actually, um, if I had one criticism of the film, it felt a little bit papered over from that moment because it was obviously, what was that, like a couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, to paper over, you know, like the the, the noughties and, and that whole kind of period when things were obviously gradually changing. It felt a bit tacked on to me. Um, but speaking to Pauline about it, she said that that was, 
kind of almost like the ultimate validation, which surprised me because I thought that, you know, being validated by your peers and, and the other kind of surfers and the community would mean more than the institution, which has been through multiple changes and whatever, that the economy would be more meaningful. But she kind of pointed out that like, that's just, it's on record. And, you know, that's where prejudice lingers in institutions. You know what I mean? Yeah. For me at the time, it just felt like such a reactionary move to kind of bring out equal pay on the back of a kind of PR nightmare. It's like classic organizations and companies do that all the time how to turn a pr nightmare into a pr exercise yeah you know and the news yeah. cycle so short so, so to tell to tell that story for anyone who doesn't know or or even might not remember exactly what happened there there was a a junior event and there was a male and female competitor both holding up checks and that one still image that contained a moment with no other context than comparing the male winner with the female winner uh, the male check was a lot higher and it, a few people complained and it gained a little bit of momentum and, and turned into news. Yeah. And so worldwide news, worldwide news. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was like you, you touched on before it was, it's very much part of the rolling theme of, of public conversation at the moment. So the WSL, a company that's, uh, losing money swiftly turned around and, um, decided to pay the women. Uh, the same as the men and they named that across all their competitions and it was received I think really well in general I mean obviously there's a lot of naysayers with any topic but that one in particular the women surfers I know but the ones that are on tour right now if you talk to them about they have so much respect for the WSL and they will bend over backwards to do anything to, to work with the WSL because they appreciate that gesture so much and who wouldn't couple of dollar dues in the pocket yeah totally and that, but then kind of ironically it's almost like it's not about the money it's about being regarded as equal by the the kind of institution that is supposed to represent you i think that's for ultimately sure. for sure I'm not, was, yeah 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 well said it's not like it's you could cheapen it to just say like the it, they're happy to be paid more money uh, but yeah no it definitely on a symbolic level is is really really significant yeah, yeah, totally. That's that's kind of all I got, Ali. Any other, any other thing to add? Yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning that the year that Pauline won the world title, um, I think her she didn't have a major sponsor at the time. Her her overall prize money was thirty grand, and twenty five of that went on travel expenses. There was no world world titled bonus check uh, when she when she won the world title in ninety four. So um. They've actually, uh, uh, Mimi and a few of the kind of producers of the movie have uh, set up a GoFundMe to kind of like try and uh, crowdfund, I guess, the the uh, 20 grand that is basically owed to Pauline for uh, conquering the world back that in 94. So, so yeah, it'd be pretty cool if anyone wants to jump on and yep. sling a five or 50 bucks, five or 50 bucks, five or 50 bucks. Well, just one thing that I wanted to note here, uh, this interview was actually done maybe a week ago and in that space of time, Pauline's GoFundMe has actually almost doubled its original goal of $25,000. At the time that I'm recording this, she's sitting close to 44000 and it's been said that anything above the original target, Pauline is going to donate to some charities that she's fond of. This next interview is with Felicity Palmatier. Flick, as she's most commonly known, is a big wave surfer from Western Australia that's recently released an art project under the title Skin Deep. The description for the video is 
Skin Deep is an avant-garde audiovisual performance art project that meshes Felicity Palmatier's two lifelong passions, art and surfing. The four-minute and 16-second film features Palmatier surfing nude in remote locations around the globe, including Fiji, Hawaii, and Western Australia. This piece is for sale online, but it will be made available to Stab Premium members for a limited time to view for free. So we decided to interview Flick on the podcast and get the project's backstory. This video isn't really a surf clip in any traditional sense. There's only limited moments of surfing. It feels more like a music video, actually. It's scored with a pretty upbeat EDM track and... Felicity is nude the whole time, which is the basic premise. It's not my cup of tea or something that resonates with me or something that I even really understand on any level, but I'm also not the target market for this type of film. Uh, whatever the target market is, I'm probably the furthest thing from it. But the fact that Flick had an idea and then went on and executed on it is something that I have infinite respect for. She went hard too. She spent over 50 Gs pulling this thing together. She traveled the world. She worked on it for over three years. And there's definitely a lot of people out there who love the film. So, so let's hear what Flick had to say about it. So let's talk about this film. How, how did it come together? What, what were the origins of this project? It was my concept and I kind of thought about it about five years ago almost now. And I just thought originally it would be something super fun to do. We all know nude surfing has been done before. There has been photos of it. It's not the first time. But to do it to this extent and to catch it so beautifully and artistically was the goal. Places that we shot it have a special place in my heart. Embracing self-love and femininity and creativity and um, self-expression as well. Wow, that sounds like you've... You've been interviewed a lot. You've got that press release just so down. I do, I do, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've, I've talked a lot about it in the last bloody four years. Yeah, of course. It was a long time between when you actually shot the film and then and then had it finally released. When did it, when did it first, when did you first start shooting? Oh, God, I'm 28 now and we started shooting this when I was 20. Three or 24, I want to say. So it just became harder to execute, even just to find surf with no one around. Is it illegal to surf nude? That's a good question, hey. Because I... <laughs> it's definitely illegal if you're doing it at Snapper Rocks on a crowded day. But yeah, I think you get you would get done for public indecency, I think. Yeah, but if there's no one around, tree falling in the woods, etc., I guess it's not necessarily legal or it's probably illegal, but you're never going to get the I problem. I think that's... I think you're probably right. Have you always been comfortable in the nude? Honestly, no. Because just being a female, being a person in general, you always have your issues of self-doubt, blah, 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 all of that. And I think especially growing up in the surf industry and being a female in the surf industry, um, not what what do you mean judged. by that? Do you mean just that there's so much? Oh, just pressure on not just the way you perform but the way you look. Yeah, okay. And and so yeah. I guess when you're naked, that's an extreme version of how you look because people are seeing. Exactly, exactly. But um, in saying that, but yeah, you know what? Like I always have 
felt pretty comfortable in my own skin, but shooting skin deep definitely was almost like a cathartic experience of like, I don't care. This feels bloody great. I'm empowered by doing what I love and it is, we've created something absolutely beautiful here. And it, it, it is, it's tricky though, because you had this all-star cast of cinematographers shooting it and, and they've done such an incredible job, but you had to surf in front of them all unedited <laughs> nude and they're all oh, yeah. they're all men right they were all men on the team yeah they it's so funny was that tricky like, in, was that tricky in itself <laughs> yeah i can't like the thought crossed my mind that maybe i should get some women to shoot this instead of men but at the end of the day one of the guys who was working on it uh jj he was my partner of six years so you know he also had to have full trust in the guys that were shooting it, Dwayne, Rick and Whitey, that, you know, he trusted them, I trusted them, and they're super professional at their job. You know, they are the best in the business, like you said. But let's just say, like, there's definitely shots out there in the world that I hope never see the light of day. <laughs> now, I've surfed naked and <laughs> I found it yes. I found it complicated in terms of For a like, guy. oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, not that. Just like wax. I was like, okay. I was like, oh, there's a reason. Like, we don't surf nude because wax <laughs> is is um is is bad to deal with. Did you have? Was it uncomfortable in any way? Like, not 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 the mentally, but physically. Was it like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so funny you say that because the first couple of sessions it was fine. Then we made the call to go to Fiji. And flew over there and baking hot in the middle of the day. You know, I don't want to put too much sunscreen all over my body because otherwise you're just going to become super slippery. Mm. <laughs> and so I opted not really to wear sunscreen and then started surfing, caught a few waves. And now I finally understand, like, when guys say, oh, I've got nipple rash. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I, I mean, I caught a lot of waves that day and my nipples were a bit red and a bit raw. And what about sunburn? I didn't even think about that. But you're over oh, in the, man. like, tropics where you can get fried in, in half an hour. It... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was very, very, very red. Um, but I'm quite lucky. I'm half Dutch, so um, naturally I go pretty tan. And so why did the film take so long to get released? Basically, took us... I want to say it took us like three and a half years to complete the filming. We were about to release it and um, uh, prior to this, like six months prior, like I'd showed it to a bunch of people, including my sponsor at the time. You know, the general consensus was that everyone loved it and, um, you know, yeah, keep going ahead with what you're doing, you know, and I was stoked. So it came to release. It was actually two years ago in Hawaii um, it was during the Pipe Masters and I was just like on cloud nine because this project that I'd worked so hard towards, um, you know, was finally going to be released and there was a lot of buzz around it. Um, there was a few people that had actually cottoned on to what was going on. Someone saw me surfing nude and news got back to Australia so there was like articles written about it and anyway, uh, we started launching it and I launched the trailer on YouTube. It had like over 100,000 views um, overnight and then um, basically my sponsor at the time freaked out and um, basically uh, basically my job was in jeopardy if I was to release it. So... What, what, what was their concern though? 
Yeah, that's a good good question. <laughs> I ask myself that still. They, um, they didn't tell you a, a, a well, sp- specific risky. thing? Really, I What's guess. That, sorry? Too, too risky. And, um, yes, but for me, which sits true to my core, which I couldn't understand is that I feel like it was a bit of a contradiction seeing as that there had been athletes that were still on the team at the time that had shot for ESPN nude, um, they'd been surfing nude, and I just thought, well, what's the difference, you know, when you really look at what this film is about and anyone that has seen it will know that this is about, you know, the being free, um, you're embracing creativity, like all those things. I yeah, I mean, about it's, before, it's not you, it's not pornography. It's no, it's, it's something it's very different, and it's it's something so much more. And how do these conversations go down? Are they you have <laughs> meetings? Are they like sending emails saying, "Hey, we don't like the project," and and what were they asking for you to do to not release it? Or how did how did these conversations happen? Oh, long and drawn out, and uh, you know. Via, via email, um, face-to-face, uh, combination of all of that. But I I think the thing that I just hurt me a lot, you know, when I've been with a brand for so long that also had um, had kind of supported me creatively, creatively before that too. Um, so for me, for them not to support me doing this creative pursuit was you know, that just cut me, you know, and it, that, that upset me a lot. That really upset me. And, and did they ask you not to put it out or what did they want? Oh, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> they uh, basically my job's in jeopardy if I do. So. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Far out. Yeah. Um, crazy how much uh, one little four-minute surf clip can... Uh, way on your whole career. <laughs> Did it cost you your sponsorship? Uh, I don't think so. No, because I decided that I wouldn't release it, you know, and I ended up losing my sponsorship a year and a half ago. Um, I had that clause in my contract, that act of God clause or pandemic clause, whatever and everyone was talking about. And yeah, just, um, that's just the way the cookie crumbled for me and unfortunately my contract got cut. But, I mean, that's what I got told, but <laughs> who knows. Maybe they, maybe it's because you weren't wearing clothes and they sell clothes. They're like, what? What is this? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I guess the silver lining of you losing your contract, though, was that you finally got to release the film? Ah, uh, yeah. I think, oh, you know, and I want to say like, Yes, I was very confused at the time of everything that they were saying to me. Uh, you know, I couldn't understand it. But at the same time, I'm super grateful for the brand because they have given me so much. They've been so supportive of me. They sponsored me since I was 14 and they literally were great. What I've started to realise in the last few months is that I have totally been loving just embracing me and just doing whatever the fuck I want and not having anyone to answer to. How was the film received? How long has it been out for now? Uh, it was released on the 1st of December. So it's been out for, we're almost in February, December, January, February, so almost three months. And, yeah, it's it's been awesome. Like I feel like the overall response has been super positive. 
Um, but then, of course, you get people that are like, you're selling out. Are you going to start an OnlyFans? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? I was, I was um, wondering about that because I saw a lot of people make comments that were right on board with your vision. Like they were, they seemed to have the exact same sentiment that you did and, 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 and were aligned with um, your vision. But then I saw a lot of comments that were, that were like really critical and, and saying things like that. Like did, did you, how did you, how did you take that? Uh, look, I took it as a, with a grain of salt. I think, um, yes, I was reading them. I re- I do read most of my comments just to skim over. Um, for some reason, it doesn't really affect me. Um, I'll usually, if someone's saying something about, oh, you're going to sell out or, oh, too bad your surfing career didn't work out or something, you know, like, I mean, I will give it one comment back. I'll think about what to say. I won't attack the person directly, but I'll just state the facts. Like, so for instance, people are really quick to be like, oh, too bad your surfing career didn't work out. I'm like, oh, okay. So is number two in the world and the big wave world two are not good enough for you? So just something like that. Like, I will never, (laughs) I will never fully, you know, stalk their profile and have a go at them, but I would. Oh, you should definitely do that. That's the best approach because then you just uh, can pick on little insecurities they might have and really no, go in deep. I know, I know. But um, I'll, I'll give it one comment and then I'll just leave it. And, and you've surfed Jaws before. <laughs> so have you thought about uh, doing it again? Doing it nude? Yeah, can we, can we, <laughs> is that going to be skin deep too, surfing Jaws? Yeah, part two is going to be at it. Jaws, I don't know about that. I, I think I would like some safety. I really like my flotation suit. Really like my flotation suit. Really like my flotation suit. Really like and yeah, that's it for this week's episode of The Drop. Uh, next week, we should have Danny back in the studio. Thank God. Danny, I'm so sorry if I ruined your podcast and everybody drops off. Um, I, I did my best, I promise. But yeah, I just wanted to also let everyone know, if you're still listening, that... <laughs> 